Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times. In Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Allison. Good morning. It's good to see you here. Um, one thing I want to talk briefly about before we jump into Ruth is our communities have been on hiatus, on, on Sabbath, on break for the last month. And we're relaunching, I guess you could say, after September, uh, after Labor Day. Um, so this is a great moment if I see a handful of you in here who I know are not connected to one of our communities. This is a great moment to come and talk to me about that. Um, and one of the things we're going to be doing moving forward is that if you are not part of, if you're here, if I see your face on Sunday morning on a regular basis, one of our communities will be sort of actively recruiting you to be part of their community. They will, you will be receiving consistent invitations. We're not forcing you, but we're going to be inviting you consistently to participate in, in eating and, and drinking with us in conversation, in hospitality, and in the practice of faith that we do together. Um, so we want to make it really hard for you to be here at our church and not be at least invited into some kind of community beyond Sunday morning where you can actually be seen and known by the other people in the room. 
Um, so I wanted to, I'm going to talk more about that on September 10th. I'm going to spend a good chunk of the sermon time talking about some of our trajectory moving forward um, on, on communities, so you can look forward to that, or you can dread that, I don't know, but um, we'll, we'll talk about that on September 10th, but I wanted to foreshadow that uh, and just let you know. If, you, if you're not connected, come talk to me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow after us. That we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So we're nearing the end of the Ruth story, and we've come in today's little, little section uh, sort of a critical moment of decision. Last week we talked about this Ruth-Boaz interaction and there's like building momentum that, this, that the problems presented at the beginning are going to be resolved. Judah started writing his own little story this week, like his own little storybook, and the very second sentence he presented a problem. And I was like, he already knows how to write a story. And I said, what are you going to do about this problem? He's like, I don't know. Okay, I guess he has writer's block already. So the story starts with a problem. We're building momentum through this story to solve this problem. And this, this, there's momentum for Boaz to come in, and all of a sudden, in this moment, we get this unnamed character that enters into this story, this other redeemer, as the text says. And this character here in our, in our text today serves as a foil, a literary foil. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept of a foil. It's not the antagonist, but it's a character in the story whose primary purpose in the story is to help highlight something positive about the protagonist. So if you're familiar with the story of Harry Potter, you have Harry Potter, clearly the protagonist. The antagonist is he who shall not be named, so we won't name him here, just to be safe. Um, but there is another character called Draco Malfoy, who's another student at the school, and he's not the antagonist, but he serves throughout the story to serve as a contrast and a foil to Harry, to Harry's character qualities. And he's constantly, every time Harry is selfless, this other character, Draco, is selfish. And it just constantly mirrors and provides this very clear foil, is what it's called in literary circles. Um, you see this in the Bible. Jesus uses the wise man and the fool. They're not antagonists to each other, but they contrast to provide a, a highlight. And that's what we see in this moment in the story. This little, we're just going to focus on the first six verses of chapter four, this unnamed character, utterly irrelevant to the plot itself, but highlights something very specific about what Boaz is doing, makes the kindness of Boaz incredibly clear. So we've been talking about kindness for the last five weeks in the story of Ruth. This word has said, I always leave my, my uh, pointer, my clicker over here. Um, you've seen this slide a bunch of times now. This is the Hebrew word hesed. It's all throughout the scripture, translated as loving kindness, as loyalty, as faithfulness, as throughout the Psalms, translated as steadfast love, the steadfast love of God, this unending commitment of God to be kind to us. Jeremy introduced this at the beginning of the story. Jamie talked about the suffering context in which we feel the need for God's said to come to us or the lack of it. Then in chapter 3, or chapter 2, sorry, week 3, we looked at clinging, God's, his, his unwavering commitment to us and the unexpected nature of that. And then last week we talked about the fact that God's kindness comes to us through other people. That it's through the actions of other people that we end up seeing the presence of God receiving his kindness to us. And today I want to consider the other side of that. That if God's kindness comes to us through others, it might also not surprise you that God's kindness comes to others 
through us, right? That we are invited by God to be kind on his behalf to other people in our lives. This is not super surprising, I hope, right? It's a bi-directional thing. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, right? Kindness is commanded throughout the Bible. But on the other hand, being kind is often misunderstood. It's often misused. It's often flattened down, And I wonder, what does it look like for us to be kind? What kind of situations are we invited to be kind into? What opportunities do you have in your life right now in which God is inviting you to show and practice his kindness on his behalf? And this moment in the story of Ruth shows us that it's very possible to sort of ignore, (laughs) uh, decline, or otherwise miss those opportunities. Um, That it's a choice that we have to make in order to practice hesed on God's behalf. So we're going to walk through these six verses, and I want you to see three things. The context of kindness, the content of kindness, and the cost of kindness. I haven't done alliteration in a while, so if you like alliteration, here you go. This is your sermon. Context, content, and cost of kindness. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoke came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. Now the gate in, in uh, these towns was kind of like the town square. You ever been to Lincolnton, North Carolina, or any number of other small towns? There's literally a square that you drive around, and in the middle of the square is the courthouse. Right? And so the business of the town, the activity of the town, all of the businesses face in, like, this is the, the gate. So when it says he went up to the gate, that's where he's going. He's going downtown to go to the courthouse, because he's going to propose a, a legal transaction here. And he sees the Redeemer come to him. So we need to peek back a little bit into, into the Old Testament to understand what this means. Some of you may be familiar with this concept, others not. But way back in Leviticus chapter 25, you have this, uh, in a, amongst a bunch of commands, you have this Uh, this command or this kind of law. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem, and the word redeem means to buy back, to restore. Then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. A few verses later in verse 47, it says, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to them, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed, bought back. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. So a redeemer here simply means the next of kin, the next person in your family who has the option, the ability, the right to, to enter your situation of poverty and to restore what you've lost. doesn't say why. There's no reason why you may have lost that. may have been outside forces, may have been your own problem, but your family member has the right and the sort of responsibility to step in and restore and buy back. Now, this gets more complicated in Deuteronomy chapter 25 because you get a whole different dimension of this, which is going to come into play in this story. It says this, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, this is very weird and illegal here in the United States. Do not, do not try this at home, okay? Um, but in, 
well, the point here, what's easy to see by reading this, is that the concept of family loyalty runs extremely deep in Jewish culture. That there's this idea that when you're in a family, you are your brother's keeper. You have a responsibility to step in and to redeem them when they have fallen out of favor. You can step in and do that, a cousin, an uncle, and apparently there was like a, a ranking, the next of kin and the next of kin and the next of kin, and these people would go in order in order to have this responsibility to step in and redeem when someone had fallen into, into poverty. And so what we see was when, when, when Boaz sits down, he sees the next of kin of Naomi come in. This is the person that would have been, you know, her emergency contact, the next call if she passed away, right? That's what would have happened. She's the next of kin here. He's the next of kin, the closest living relative of Naomi. And in this context, he is Naomi's keeper. He's the one that has the right and the responsibility to move in. It's a family covenant relationship. He can't just kind of turn his back and walk away. There's a bond there within the family of, of the clans. And you know how family bonds work, right? So like, I have four boys, eight, six, four, and two. And in the last eight years, I have changed a lot of diapers. Like, it's a daily activity. I change diapers in the morning, I change diapers in the afternoon, I change diapers in the middle of the night. And I'm more than happy to do that. I'm happy to change my kid's diaper. Now, if Tara were to come to me and ask me to change Asher's diaper, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay? I'm not changing any of your kid's diaper. I'm happy to change my kid's diaper. I'm not happy to change your kid's diaper. Why? Because family. There's something different about the bond and the connection of family that you have this kind of relationship. Okay? Kristen cuts the, our, she cut our, our, our boy's hair. She cuts my hair, which it looks awesome. Thank you. Um, and uh, so my brother and I, we go backpacking every Labor Day weekend. He's coming down. My brother texts Kristen and is like, hey, can you cut my hair while I'm there? Uh, and she's like, sure. If you texted Kristen and said, hey, can you cut my hair? She'd be like, no, absolutely not. Why? Family, right? There's this bond. There's this covenantal responsibility that exists in the context of being in a family. There's something that goes beyond just generic kindness to your family members, right? You're able, if you're in a family with someone, you relate to them in a different way than you do to other people. It's a nice thing, like we have new neighbors, we brought a little bucket of muffins over to them. Like, that's nice, but that's not family kindness. That's a different thing than family kindness. To be in a family with someone is to be long-term committed to them over, over a period of time. This is covenant, right? It's no mere act of philanthropy or generosity, or like Oprah gives away cars, right? That's um, generosity, maybe, but it's not kindness in the sense of hesed of God, because it's not covenant loyalty within a relational context. When we read about kindness in the Bible, what we see is that it always happens in a family-like relationship. It's kindness within a committed relationship to the good of another person. That's what you see. The, the Redeemer comes up. You have Boaz and the Redeemer. They're both there. They're both in the same context of family relationship. They both have the responsibility and the ability to commit, to redeem Naomi out of her situation. Family loyalty. So the question at this moment for you, who are your people? Who are you in family-like relationships with? Who are you committed to over the long term? The kindness is not just about doing random acts of goodness for random other people, but it's about the specific people within which we're in relationship with over a long period of time. 
And what's really interesting that you can go home and take this home and think about is that when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament looks at the context of the church and calls it your family. Okay, so we, we have a sort of an idol of family in many corners of our American Christianity, but we are invited to see and understand that we're called to be entering into these family-like bonds with other people, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we think about who our people are, who God is calling us to be kind to, it takes discernment to understand who these people are. Who is God inviting us to be in a family-like relationship with? And that's the context of kindness. Second is the content. Verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and sat down. Oh, and said, sit down here. And they sat down. Then he went to the Redeemer and he said, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Do you have two family members sitting here? They're looking across. They say, here's a family member of ours who we're in covenant family relationship with who's struggling. Will we do kindness to that person? Apparently, there's no obligation here. It's an opportunity. It's an option. He has an option to step in and to do this kindness to her. He's able to say no. But the call, the invitation, is to an action, right? The content of kindness is action. Context, family relationship, content, action. He's being called to do kindness. It's occurred to me as I've thought about kindness over the last couple of months that we often think of kindness the same way we think of love, as sort of like this disposition to be nice, right? If I love, I, we use the word love, I love the Phillies. Like, I don't, I want the Phillies to do well, but I don't have a lot of, I'm not taking action on their behalf besides tuning in, which makes them money, right? I say I love my kids, which sometimes that could mean I'm doing things to seek their good, but oftentimes it means that I love the way they make me feel, right? I feel good with them. We use the word love. We use the word kind the same way. He's a nice guy. He's a kind guy. When we say these kind of things, we don't, we're not talking about the kindness of God. We're talking about something much more shallow, right? A nice person is a person that sort of follows convention, is not mean, avoids conflict. It's a, that's a nice guy. But God is not a nice guy. When you read that God is kind, that he has, has said in steadfast love, it's not saying that God is a nice guy. Read some of these texts in Psalms. Psalm 109, 21. But you, O Lord my God, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. The action of God. God takes action on our behalf. Psalm 31, 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Psalm 44, 26. Rise up, come to our help. There's this word, redeem, act, Take action on our behalf. Why? For the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. We don't hope in God's sort of nice disposition towards us. We hope in his action on our behalf. Him taking action to redeem us out of our failures. Right? Being nice the way we often use the word kind is to be polite, to follow the rules. It lives up here. One, one person I read this week said it, that niceness is placating and patronizing and pitying. 
but the kindness of God gets dirty. It gets in the game, gets its hands dirty. It intervenes for the good of the other person. I mean, we all know a lot of very nice people, <laughs> but kindness is the one that steps in, takes action for someone else. And so what you have here is both of these redeemers are offered an invitation to take action on behalf of another. This is what we see in, James talks about this in chapter 2, where he's talking about faith and deeds. He says, if a brother and sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's this idea that to be kind is to take action, to be committed within the context of a covenant relationship to the good of another person over a long period of time. I think we often make, a, we spend a lot of energy trying to be seen as a kind person rather than being kind, <laughs> because being kind takes action. I can feel it in my own self from week to week. There's this temptation to do the bare minimum to get you to think that I'm a kind and nice person rather than stepping in and actually doing the hard work. This is all over in our culture, operating in platitudes and staying above the phrase like hashtag activism. That's like it's being made to look kind without actually having to do anything and take action. These things are nice. They make us nice people, but they're not the hesed kindness of God. So I want you to think of the people in your life that you're in these kind of relationships with. Is your love for them matched by your action, your desire for their good, your willingness to move in and towards them, to taking opportunities to respond to the invitation to take action for their good? The context is these covenant relationships. The content is taking action. And now here in the third section, we get to the to the meat of what's going on here. This is the high drama. What will the Redeemer do? He's been presented with this question. He doesn't know any of the backstory about the, the secret rendezvous between Boaz and Ruth and all the things that are going on behind. He doesn't know any of that. He's just presented with this option. And so this is what we get next. The Redeemer said, I will redeem it. And he's like, I'm following convention. Here I am. I'm willing to redeem it. He's a nice guy right? This is a nice guy. He's doing what he's asked to do. He's going to step in and redeem the field. And then I feel like uh, Boaz, kind of like Steve Jobs, is like, oh, and one more thing. <laughs> oh, by the way, let me just read the addendum. There's an addendum here. He says this, uh, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And here's where you see sort of the other shoe drop. This is the catch. This is the rubber meets the road on kindness. You see, buying the field is one thing. Naomi's husband is dead. Her sons are dead. The field essentially would go to the other redeemer as his property to use for his own benefit. He's doing a nice thing, but he's actually benefiting from it. It's not really costing him a whole lot. It's like just acquiring a field for himself to keep it in the family. But it's not costing him anything in terms of supporting Naomi. It would cost him a little bit to support her from the field, but this is something that is good for him. And then Boaz is like, oh, by the way, this is a to total family commitment. You're not just buying the field for yourself. You actually have to invest your whole life in this act of kindness. And this is what Hesed is. This is what the kindness of God is. It's taking action inside of these relationships in ways that commit us to the other person for the long term. 
right? Boaz is not doing a one act of generosity. He's investing the rest of his life committed to supporting and redeeming Ruth. The Redeemer hears this and he says, I cannot redeem it for myself. Why? Lest it inherit my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. He says, look, this is going to endanger my estate. I'm going to have to share. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. Those children are not going to be my children. They're going to be Elimelech's children. And I'm not going to have any right to what happens after that. Wow, this is an incredibly costly act. And he says, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. One author says, I think it's David Benner says this, fear blocks responsiveness to others. The fearful person may appear kind, but fear always intervenes with the impulse towards love. Energy invested in maintaining safety and comfort always depletes energy available for kindness to others. This is what's happening with the, with the other redeemer. But the point of this is not to kind of uh, to shame the other redeemer, but to highlight that what Boaz is about to do is an incredibly surprising, over-the-top act of generosity, kindness, and hesed. The true kindness is extremely costly, right? Being nice doesn't cost you anything. You meet the standards, you stay away from the conflict, you bail when it's hard. That's, that's the other redeemer. That's the nice guy. The hesed of God modeled here by Boaz is stepping in when it gets hard, committing for the long term. You know, I think this other redeemer, he's, I think he was probably a nice guy. I think he paid his taxes. He said please and thank you. I think he tipped his waiters and waitresses. He was a nice guy. But in the moment when he's called to commit the rest of his life to redeem and serve someone else, he says, no, thank you. Boaz, on the other hand, is called into this and runs towards it so that he can be committed in this act of hesed, of kindness. Dan Allender says, niceness is a commitment to ease, to comfort, to having the convenience of no conflict, whereas kindness means covering the body of somebody who might be harmed to stepping into a relationship with someone who might be threatening. Ferocity differentiates kindness from mere niceness. I love that little last line. Ferocity. There's something strong about being kind. There's something that requires courage and commitment to be kind. We know this from Micah 6.8. I used it last week. I'm using it again today as the benediction. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love hesed, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. And Boaz is showing us what this looks like to be kind. Now, a little caveat here. This is not an invitation into a savior complex. Okay? We know people who they, they want to be kind to everyone. That every problem is something they want to fix, they want to solve, they want to jump in, they want to... There's a lot of... I've heard a lot of, of bad sermons. They're like, hey, you, you're not doing enough for other people. Be kinder, be nicer, do more. In missional, Christian missional circles, you get videos of kids in Africa and the homeless people in Portland and the war in Ukraine. It's like, hey, you, you should feel guilty that you're not doing more and being kinder and being nicer and filling up this and filling. And there's a lot of weight and guilt and shame. This is not that sermon. <laughs> this is a sermon inviting you to the one or two opportunities in your life right now where God is calling you to exercise has said on his behalf. Commitment to loyalty when it's hard. See, Boaz didn't marry everyone. For every Ruth, there's probably a hundred other widows. 
Boaz did this for one person. He married Ruth. And I think for all of us, God is inviting us when we've responded to his kindness to us. He's inviting us to turn and find that person, that situation, that family member, that whoever it is in your circle that he's inviting you say, I want you to treat this person like family, the way that I've treated you like family. Commitment over the long haul. To do has said, to embrace the high cost. And this is my question for you to consider. Where, where might God be calling you to embrace costly, courageous kindness for someone else in your life? Right? Be, be nice, right? That's great. Say thank you at the grocery store. Let someone pass you on the highway. Give muffins to your neighbor. Those are good. That's great. You can be kind to everyone. <laughs> or you can be nice to everyone. But stop for a moment and consider where God is inviting you to extend hesed. Steadfast love, loyalty, kindness, courage, dedicating your life for the good of another, treating someone like their family even when they may not be. There's a little aftermath here. Boaz says to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Melon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. There's so much in these few verses that I wish we could talk about. But I just want to point out, this is foreshadowing what Jeremy's going to talk about next week. That this act of kindness that Boaz takes becomes part of the larger story of what God is doing. And these people here, the townspeople, they understand and they recognize the insane act of kindness that Boaz is creating. And they want him to be blessed for it. They're calling down the blessings of Leah and Rachel, the fountain of Israel. They're calling down blessing on Perez, which is a whole other story that's amazing, who was another person in the line of Jesus born out of Leveret marriage, which is the redemption marriage that we're talking about here. It's amazing things going on here. But the people recognize that, and they pray, pray blessing on Boaz. And what happens in that is that out of that act of kindness, this amazing story of Jesus comes out. And that's what Jeremy's going to focus on next week and seeing the kindness of God all throughout the story. And so the invitation is for us to understand that as God is perpetuating his own kindness through the world, he's inviting us to participate in that, to be part of the give and take of loving kindness and steadfast love. I pray that we will respond to that invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story. Thank you for the example of Boaz, of his kindness towards Ruth and towards Naomi. I pray that in it we would see a model of your calling on our lives, a model of what Christ has done for us, and the invitation to follow in his footsteps. Give us discernment and wisdom as we look around our lives and our relationships
that we would respond to your invitation to be kind. We pray this in Christ's name.